The limited partner shares in the potentially outsized returns of a well-planned and executed investment, but as a passive investor, and has the maximum leverage on their most precious asset, their time. And that is why we're here together. 90% of the millionaires out there built their net worth with real estate. However, 0% of the billionaires are hands-on managing the real estate assets because there simply isn't enough time. My name is Jake Wiley, and for the past 16 years, I've been investing in real estate, and I've learned a thing or two. But the most important lesson is how to leverage the expertise and time of others to maximize your investment potential. Welcome to the Limited Partner Podcast. Hey guys, last week I found myself in Cannes in the south of France attending the MIPM conference, which is arguably the largest international commercial real estate conference out there. It was amazing. There's over 25,000 people there. It was an action-packed few days with a lot of talk about the impacts of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Banks. And now we have this breaking Credit Suisse lifeline that was extended by the Swiss Central Bank and then ultimately this takeover by UBS. So there's a lot going on. But stay with me as this past week created a lot of new information that I think is worthy of knowing. By the way, as an aside, I'm the guy that sits in the front row of the conference with his hand up when the Q&A time comes and I asked a bunch of questions. All right, so let's start with the presentations and the trends as planned before the SVB failure and the overall consensus was essentially that the debt markets are the primary driver of this period of uncertainty. So what I'm saying here is that coming into the MIPM conference, you know, all these presenters came in with presentations that they had created before last week. And SVB failures, Fed coming in with new news, I think it was a big surprise and it changed the overall presentation. So there really is no surprise that they're talking about the debt markets and how that's impacting it. But what I really appreciated was that the presenters were actually from the banks and large asset owners themselves. So there really wasn't any journalistic lens on the comments. So one really interesting perspective that I did hear from one of the presenters was, and this is an asset owner, that they'd be willing to accept a 10% discount on the assets in their portfolio today because they think that they could buy replacements at a 30% discount. Why I thought that was really interesting is that I, honestly, it was just a mind opening statement because I've heard and likely projected was that most of these asset owners would be circling the wagons on their existing assets and doing everything in their power to protect the value of the valuations, but then also looking out for opportunistic buys. And the play is actually to consider liquidating assets at a loss today to free up liquidity to bring in assets at an even greater discount. So that kind of really opened my mind. And I think why that's super important for you guys, everybody that's out there listening, is that you will see a lot of the major players actually start to sell assets at a loss. And they're actually trying to do a little bit of arbitrage on assets to say that, yeah, sure, we'll go out in the market. We'll take a little bit of hit on this, but we actually foresee a much greater value change coming our way. So just be thoughtful of that. So as you see at large assets being repriced, there's actually a strategy behind that. And some of that has to do with redemptions, the need to actually liquidate assets, but there are asset owners out there now that are saying, yeah, let's go ahead 
buy it and sell some so we can free up liquidity and basically be sitting on cash when these even greater valuations come in. But at the conference, overall, the sentiment was that two weeks ago, most of the banks and institutions felt like we were getting close to this top of this hill and we'd finally be able to start to see what was over the horizon and that the debt markets would start to firm up. A glimpse of certainty would allow the markets to settle in and the cost of borrowing would come down. So think the cost of rate caps and these interest rate spreads that we've been dealing with. But since then, the Fed issued a statement that essentially said, we don't have inflation under control, so expect more and longer on these interest rate increases. Then Silicon Valley Bank failed with Signature in its wake. You could tell that these past two weeks have been a huge disappointment for the industry leaders and that the additional uncertainty was more of a, an addendum to their prepared remarks, like I mentioned below. But even still, as recent as last week, the sentiment was that it appears that the fallout was contained and that it was just another blip on a bumpy road to recovery. Then last week, while we were at the conference, Credit Suisse failed, right? They had to receive a $54 billion lifeline to shore up their balance sheet. So that kind of puts the containment theory on shaky ground. And then ultimately they were taken over by UBS this week. So these next few weeks and really month are going to be crucial, but we're getting indications from both the Fed and Treasury that they're not going to let banks fail. TBD on what that really means. So the acknowledged elephant in the room at the conference was office. And this we've been talking about a lot on the channel, on podcast. Interestingly enough, in Europe and the rest of the world, the return to the office has been much stronger than it has been in the US. So the bankers and the office owners, these are the asset owners that are at the conference, vehemently made the case that people need to get back in the office. Ultimately, their case was that's how businesses run. But really, the reality is their lens is that would fix their problem. Get people back in the office, lease rates would go up, office valuations would go up, that would be great. But the truth is Americans are buying it. The reality is that the typical office lease is between three and five years and business owners that are still paying leases on lightly occupied office spaces are saying they want to get people back into the office because they have these offices that are empty. But that tune tends to change pretty quickly when the lease renewal comes up. So I think that lease rates are actually still artificially high because of leases signed before and during the really early days of the pandemic where we didn't really know what was happening and there's still time on these leases. They haven't reached their expiration date and the break fees are too much. So there was a lot of talk about office to, you name it, residential, office to storage, office to data centers, office to some hybrid of any of those. However, nobody addressed the how. How do you make an investment in an asset? So you've got an asset there, it's an office that was previously already valued and probably sitting on their balance sheet with a basis higher than any of the target conversion candidate asset classes. So office was previously and has been valued higher than residential, definitely more than storage you know, data centers, all of these things, like office is already sitting on the balance sheets at this really high amount and it was funded equities in there. So now you're saying we're gonna take that asset, we're gonna dump a bunch of money into it and convert it to something else that is they are paying rent on. So what's interesting to me is the only way this works is that the acquisition price of the asset has to be low enough to allow for all of these capital improvements for that conversion and all the time that it's sitting there basically empty that adds up to an 
after conversion number that's supported by the new asset class. So in a lot of cases, that could be less than the land value of that office, right? So think about that. So look what happened to SVB. What might happen when banks become the owners of office buildings that have to be sold as quickly as possible? So what I'm saying there is that SVB had a lot of assets on their books that lost value, right? And all of a sudden, when that became a thing, there was a run on the bank. Everybody's trying to get their cash out of there, right? Because of the way the bank is capitalized and they manage their balance sheet. So what happens when the banks become the owner of a bunch of office buildings? Office owners may just say, okay, bank, but the valuation has already eroded all of the equity in it. And all that's left is debt. Therefore, here are the keys. So that elephant, is still sitting in the room. And I think it's a much bigger elephant than most are willing to admit. So there's a lot to unpack, a lot coming our way on office, but I'm gonna switch gears here. I had the fortune of being invited to several VC-backed prop tech receptions this past week. And to be in a room with so many exciting new ventures that had their investment dollars parked at SVB and actually stared the death of their businesses in their face, in the face last week, it made it real. So to even bring the point home, I had a one-on-one -on -one in-depth conversation with one startup owner that had $6 million on deposit with SVB. And for a few days, was only gonna see the FDIC insured $250,000 amount. That was it. So he had $6 million one day, the next day, like they're going to see $250,000. That's not even enough money to mothball the company gracefully. I've heard that without the FDIC backstop guarantee of the deposits, we could have lost 10 years of VC backed startups. So I've heard that and I've read it. And it's one thing, but to talk at length to a startup that had momentarily lost it all and understand how many years it took to just get to this point where they were in their series of funding and then how many years and what the road to an exit looks like. A decade is real, right? Like you don't just become a startup, like everybody thinks it's this overnight thing, but there's years that have gone into getting it just into today. And then you've got this money from VCs and backers sitting in your bank and then poof, it's over. And that money was to basically drive you to an exit, which is years down the road likely. So yeah, I could totally see how a decade goes by. So there was a lot of great information at the conference, I've learned a ton, and it was really great to sit shoulder to shoulder, kind of take that journalistic lens out of the equation and talk to asset owners, talk to bankers, and then even talking with these uh, BC-backed startup that had money at Silicon Valley Bank was amazing. But what was really clear is that there is a ton of uncertainty left in the market and there's significant possible price corrections headed our way basically like now that we're talking to these asset owners that are saying like sure yeah we'll start liquidating our portfolio at a discount because they're seeing potentially a 30 percent discount in our near future so think about that as you're looking at your investments is what is the discount that you know you're pricing into your assets that you might be investing in is it 10 percent? because that's what these guys are trying to liquidate at or is it closer to this 30 percent number based on the valuations of last year. But anyway, there is a ton still coming our way. I'm all over it. I look forward to helping you along your journey, but stay tuned and subscribe to this channel and that'll help you keep you updated. I've also got a newsletter. So at the limited partner forward slash news, you can sign up for the newsletter where I pull in all of the latest and greatest kind of news and thought leadership pieces from the week so you can make better decisions. So subscribe to the channel, sign up for the newsletter and we'll stay in touch. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and I'd actually love for you to contribute to a future episode. 
If you have a question you'd like answered or a topic or a guest to bring on the show, please email me at jake at thelimitedpartner.com. Now I realize there's a lot of lingo that's thrown around on these shows, so I've created a cheat sheet for you with the top 26 terms that come up most often. Head on over to thelimitedpartner.com forward slash lingo for the list. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time.